0: Back for talking, Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend, Chavrita and Gordon. Our daft today, Masachat Beta daf Yodalit, page 14. So we have a bunch of Mishnahs on this page, four actually to be exact. Uh, I'm going to handle Ahmed Aleph and we'll hem, handle Amad Bet. And again, this is just a series of different halachot uh, uh, around uh, food preparation uh, when it comes to uh, Yom Tov. Bechame Amrim, Tavlin Miduchin, b'madoch Shel Eights. So Beit Shama says spices can be pounded um, with a wooden pestle, and salt basically can be pounded with a flask or a wooden pot ladle. So, in other words, you're allowed to pound them, but basically Beit Shama is requiring that you pound them in a slightly different way than you normally would during the week. <inaudible> but Beit Hill says spices can be pounded in their usual manner with a stone pestle. And for salt, right, you can, even though it still has to be pounded sort of a little bit differently, you still can use, you know, you just need to use a wooden pestle. That's enough to show that you did it a little bit differently. And so one of the things that we see here is, you know, that we have to do something with what we call a shunay, a shunay, right? To cooling Alma, the Gemara continues, mi Me had melech bay everybody basically agrees that salt needs some type of chinoid, right? In other words, it requires some type of change. Otherwise you can't do it. Uh, you're not allowed to do it in the regular weekday manner. Um, and you know, the Gemara goes through a little bit. Why is that the case? Right. They presented opinion of Huna Rav because sort of all dishes require salt. So you should have prepared your salt ahead of time. Um, and the other one is that, you know, the other one of, of the two says that it's because salt doesn't lose its flavor. But I think the main point here is to recognize that I think everybody, all spices that we use, recognizes that salt sort of has its own particular status. Um, but on that topic of sort of grinding, the Gemara at the bottom of the amud tells us another interesting halak. An <laughs> enosin Tisni, Ve'en Kodshim V'machtashev. So on, on chag, one is not allowed to make like groats, which is basically sort of uh you know grains of wheat that was crushed, and it was very very difficult to crush it to make this particular type of dish. And you also can't grind grain with a mortar and a pestle. Tarte, right? So then the gemara basically says these these seems to be two different rulings here, right? The first time is basically saying, or the first part of this uh, Bryce is saying that you're not allowed to just make these groats, right? This is what you can't make. But then the second part is he's saying you can't use a mortar and pestle at all. or maitam, tisni, but right? So he's saying, no, this is what the brace is saying. The brace should say, what's the reason you can't make it? The groats, because you can't grind with a mortar and a pestle, vilema, right? And then, so maybe the Tana should have said, enkochim, but just say you can't use a mortar and pestle. If we just said, you can't grind with a mortar and pestle, I might have said, I may have thought it's only with a large one. But with a small mortar and pestle, I may Maybe it would be okay. And you could even make these groats using the small mortar and pestle, right? Therefore, it teaches us otherwise. You can never make this type of dish using and pestle so then the Gemara goes on to say, wasn't it taught in a brysa? In kochim Gadola, about kochim it taught exactly this idea, saying, no, you can't use a big uh, mortar and pestle, but you can use a small one. Amar Abaye says, ki nami matnina, machtash gadola tanya. So Abaye says, so when the first brysa was taught, it's also only talking about a large mortar and pestle and not a small one. So in other words, this brysa is basically telling us uh, two halachot, not one. The first part of that, Breitsa is telling us you can't even make groats even with a small mortar and pestle. And then he also comes to tell us you can't even use a large one. Rava Amar, lo kasha. Rava says this isn't a kasha. These two breitsa don't seem to contradict each other. Halan vahalahu. So this I thought was very interesting. Rava basically says this ruling about the small mortar and pestle is for us, meaning for the people who live in Babel. And many Mepharshim explain it's because they didn't have servants. And that statement is for them, meaning the inhabitants of Eretz Yisrael who have servants. And basically what it is, is saying that in places where you had servants, which is like in Eretz Yisrael, right, and servants may not be as careful, right, with, you know, and they, they may not be as careful as they should be, right? They would use a large mortar and pestle, and then they would say, oh, I really just use a small one. So the issue is, is that they don't even want to permit using a small one because it may cause the servants to use a large one, which is really not allowed. So therefore they say you can't use a large one or a small one. But what's interesting here is to see that there's sort of a different um, halacha based on sort of circumstance and place, right? Because in Eretz Yisrael, it was more common to have servants. They were more machner. They didn't allow a small one or a large one. In Bavel, where that wasn't the case, they did allow that. And I thought it was very, I don't know that we've seen yet so explicitly a difference in how Yom Tov was practiced based on location and because of other different circumstances. And, and then besides the,
1: Gmar, besides the Yom Tov Cheney.
0: Right. Well, right. Besides the Yom Tov Shani. But yes, but specifically in like that. And then the Gemara concludes with the story of Rav Pape, Rav Pape, who was visiting Bar Marshmuel, who was visiting Bar, uh, Bar Shmuel. And they brought him porridge and he basically wouldn't eat it. And because his concern was, was that maybe it was made that day. And the Gemara basically asked, well, maybe they did it with a small mortar and pestle. The story took place in Bavo. And so it says, no, he saw that it was really grand well. It had to have been with a large one. And then they said, well, maybe it was made the day before. Um, but he saw the way that the husks were, that they were bright, that it was basically, you know, it was done recently. And then they give a third one, which is he also refrained from meeting at uh, Rapape. Because maybe the house of Marshall was different and he saw that he was lax with his slaves, that the slaves were lax there. And he was a little bit concerned about how it was prepared. So, you know, like, this brings up another element, like this is sort of a non don la approach, where we sort of see a real world evidence where like, he sees this dish in front of him, it looks like it could, no way it could have been made in a way that was appropriate on Yontif, and therefore he chooses not to eat it. Um you know, and, uh, you know, just seeing the difference between Babel and Eretz Yisrael, but then they even bring a story to show somebody was more Mahmur and Bavel. I think even shows, even though they had this leniency for Babel, even people in Babel were sometimes very careful and wouldn't eat anything that was sort of ground up in this particular way.
1: Especially, I think, people who are traveling. What strikes me about this, and I'm, you know, I've got the foreshadowing of the Mishnah that I'm about to go through, is that I think that this stuff is very reminiscent to me of the malachot of Shabbat. And we're going to see like different ways these, there's application of the malachot of Shabbat, but now for Yantif, right? So if this is like a semblance, let's say, of dash or something like that, right? Where you're crushing the the whole mortar and pestle thing, right? Where you're you're crushing the food to thresh it, ki'ilo. I Meaning it's not really threshing. It's not, it's not fresh on the threshing floor like that. But it's a derivative of a toada or an ashvut of that. But in this case, right, there's a way to do it that's permissible and a way to do it that's not permissible, depending on what country you're in and so on. And I feel like, well, we're about to see. Now we're going to have one on rare and we're like, there's just the the masaka beitza that we have felt to be a little bit, I don't know, a little bit difficult to follow the structure of it in some ways. I think that perhaps what's happening here is, um. We're dealing, this whole parak is dealing with different food issues of Yom preparations. But I think that there is like a, an alignment with the malachot that we did see back in the days of, of parak gadol in Shabbat, Masachat Shabbat.
0: Yeah, I it, again, it's interesting. I think the problem with this masachat I'm having is, and we know it's just structure because it's shorter, this really should have come after Masachat Shabbat. And it just feels so displaced and sort of out of nowhere because we're sort of at this point in the massacre, we're following the calendar. And we some, I feel like we're just being drawn back to Shabbat again.
1: Right, right. It's because it has fewer dapim, so it ends up at this location in the whole of Shas. I happen to kind of appreciate that we're talking about all these Yontif issues as we go through, you know, Rosh Hashanah and then Shabbat. And I and I had to kind of remind myself, this is going to sound silly, but I had to remind myself after actually preparing and, and using you know, the means of cooking on Rosh Hashanah to not cook on Shabbat. And I felt like, oh my goodness, it's Masach HaBeit. there we go. Like the things you can't do on Shabbat and things you can do on Tov. It was kind of, you know, brought to life in my house. Um, I want to jump to the Mishnah now. I'm on I'm Amabet, the first of three. Haburir, and as I said, this is, again, it seems to me to be aligning with the Melachot, at least some of them that show up in the Mishnah and Shabbat, of all the Lama Melachot. Here we have one on Borer. Haborir Kitniot. Now, this to me really is reminiscent of, it's actually the Gemara in, in Masaka Shabbat, where it, where it delineates, you know, the different, I would say, professional levels or lack thereof, of how you can do sifting or sorting on Shabbat, meaning how you cannot and the rules on Shabbos are very clear, right? You can only take ocho from the p'sola. You can only take the thing that you want, and you can only do a biyad, and you can only do it right away when you need it. There's, there's, you know, five different cases on the Gemara there that show exactly what you can do f- to come to Bora. Bora on, because it's part of cooking and food preparation, for Yantif is a little bit more lenient, even with Beit Shammai. So Beit Shammai's position is as follows. if you're If you're sifting... Uh, legumes, oat, on yantif. So, Bechamah says, take the ochel, meaning, ochel, leave, you can eat it right away, right, you can take it to prepare to eat it right away, and then you're going to leave over the, the shells, or whatever, the, the klipot, the refuse from what you're taking. Be Hill says, N- you could do more than that. As long as you do, you could do your regular rare as long as you're not using a super professional tool to do so. You can whatever you usually do. If you take ochel from the psolit, if you take the thing that you want from the thing that you're leaving over, or vice versa. This is um, these again, these are these are using it's using tools to do your selection, but it's not using a professional sifter or, in this case, whatever you might use to sift your legumes. But and that's the tavla and the nafan bookvara. These are tools that are really designated, you know, for for the Professional use of it. Rabban Rabban says, you can even wash those legumes in water. And then, you know, and we've seen this, I'm sure you've all seen this in your own homes. If you soak, I don't know, barley or I guess barley is not a legume, lentils, let's say, or beans, and some, you know, schmutzy stuff will float to the top. And according to Rabban Gamliel, you can take that, you can skim that stuff off the top. Right, even though that is very clearly not the ochel from the psolat, it is the psolat from the ochel. I mean, you're taking, you're actively removing the thing that you don't want and leaving the thing that you do want. And then the gemara here goes through a whole discussion of, you know, what if you have more of the psolat? What if you have more of the refuse as compared to having more of the thing that you do want, the food that you want? And you know, at what point do you say, well, you still have to take the thing, the ochel, and leave the the thing you don't want and part of the issue is, you know, what's going to be easier for the cooking, of easier for the preparation, and of course there's several different opinions here. Um, I think that, you know, again, to keep in mind, part of the reason that this is not a case for Masachat Shabbat is because you're not doing this kind of food preparation on Shabbos because you're not cooking. This is preparing, I keep thinking of it as lentils because that's what the most common legume I have in my house, but beans, any of this, um, you're not preparing them for cooking on Shabbat ever. You might use them in a salad if they're already cooked, let's say. But this is how do you make sure that what you've got is the good stuff that you want to cook up. Um, so that's, again, a Yag Talacha specifically. I'm moving now to the next mission. to is the third mission on the daf, the second one on Amu Bet. So now we're back to talking about gifts. And the gift-giving that can happen on Yantif, which again seems to be a bigger issue on Shabbat. Um, so Beit Shammai says you can only send portions of prepared food, meaning things that could be eaten right away or as part of that next festival meal, let's say. And Beit Hillel says, no, you could even send animals that either you know either you might want to shekht them or they have already been shachted. And I think the idea here is that Beit Hillel is being more expansive for the sake of fresh schita, let's call it that, for your Yon meal. Um And then the Mishnah goes on to say, mm-hmm. that you could send wines and oils and salads and legumes, but you can't send green. Uh, and Rabbi Shimon says, yeah, even you could send green, You know, which I suppose would bring us back to your Dana, the bit that you've just discussed in terms of what can you do with that grain? You know, can you can you use it in a mortar pestle? Can you make a porridge out of it or not? Um, So all of this, again, is this question of how much, um, you know, this idea of sending gifts it's all foodstuffs, right? It's not saying you could send a book or you could send silver, right? It's specifically in the context of preparation for Yontif meals, I believe. And then this is great. The Gemara wants to know what happened? How how do you send this, right? This is the next question. You know, it's one thing to say that you could send things, but how are you going to manage that? Aren't you coming yourself? And if you're coming... Are you sending it as a gift of of charity? Are you sending it as a gift of friendship? What's really going on? So the Gemara wants to address this. So Rabbi Yifil says, as long as you're not sending whatever it is that you're sending in a whole convoy of people, so that it shouldn't look like merchandise. It shouldn't look like um, a business exchange. Right, This is a present, and so you could send a present, but you're not sending a whole traveling caravan of merchants. So as long as you have, well, the idea is that a shura, this convoy, would have no less than three people, meaning you've got to have three people or more to have a convoy. So as long as you're sending two or one, then you're set. You don't have to worry about this Mardayan situation. You don't have to worry that anybody would think that what you're doing here is um, commerce or something like that. Um, so this is the great question that I really like. Right, You've got three people traveling and you're sending three different kinds of foodstuffs to your your recipient. right? And so now each one of them could take one. And now are you going to call that a convoy or are you going to call that three individuals each taking one thing? And I imagine that the Gemara, the, the Chazal, could have come up with an answer to say, you know, definitively, the moment you've got three people, you've got a convoy, too bad, it doesn't matter how many things are carrying. Or alternatively, you could say the moment they're carrying things separately, you never worry about a convoy. Meaning there's, there's a potential to answer the question here in a definitive kind of way. And instead, the Gemara says here, teiku. Teku meaning we're going to leave this unresolved. We don't have a definite answer. Uh, we know that Teku stands for, or is, uh, you know, uh, darshaned to stand for Tishbi Yavu, uh, sorry, Tishbi Yitareits Kushiotu Bayot, that Tishbi meaning Eliyahu who is also known as Tishbi, will come and resolve all Kushioto, all questions and problems. But of course, what's happening here, I think, is also... It's the opposite of practical, right? Meaning it's such a clever question, but because I think it wasn't a practical question, they're able to leave it as a takeu. There really wasn't much concern that there was going to be a convoy of three people traveling with each of them taking one item to give as a gift to the other to the recipient of the gift. I, I, that's my that's my inference here. I'm not saying that the government says this explicitly. I just feel like if it was a very practical question, everybody had to know, they wouldn't have been able to leave it as a takeu.
0: Um, I think what we're seeing is, is that there seems to be these Mishnayos that are activities where there's a possibility of using one of them for Malacha. And I think part of what the mishnah is struggling with is like, at what point do you say, like, you just have the item in front of you, right? Like, and you're just going to sort of use it, right? Like that we can't keep worrying about like two or three steps ahead.
1: Right. I think this is exactly right. I think that's a very good, um, way of framing what we're looking at here. So I've got one more Mishnah on the staff and we're shifting we're moving away from the food and we're moving away from the gifts now we're talking about clothing uh we're still talking about sending there's still gifts but we're it's, talking still about gifts. Clothing. it's
0: under the gift category it's
1: say. in the gift yes it is because it says straight up you can send kelim utensils but it's not utensils the way we think of utensils uh kitchen stuff because then it says bent furin ben and furin, whether they are sewn Stitched, not stitched. So that's how we know that we're talking about something that is, you know, either a garment or perhaps, perhaps you could say a tablecloth. But you know, really, we're talking about something that you would assume is going to be something you could wear. And that's again why you think it's something you could wear because the mission is talking about kilayim that it's woven together, right? That this is kilayim. It's what we call in shatness in modern parlance, or really it's in the chumash also as shatness, right? The idea that you've got wool and linen that are woven together even if what you're sending is kilayim sora as long as it is for the purpose of the holiday you could send it along meaning you're within your rights as a gift sender to send even something made of kilayim to your recipient avalos sandal velomin al so this is very interesting to me because it brings back as i keep saying it brings back Shabbat and that very complicated story about the sandal that was a spike sandal which has nails to it and we talked about it in the context of like, you know, what if it were like cleats and it's something that's not supposed to be worn on Shabbat, right, and because perhaps it might be injurious. There were a whole, we had a lot of discussion about this back in the day. Um, so the, the Mishnah here says not a sandal, sandal hamsumar, not one of those, and also not a mean uh, a, a shoe that is not sewn. Meaning an unfinished shoe that you couldn't really wear, it, like um, I'm sure there's a word for this. You know, it's like the the inside of the shoe before you've put on the whole rest of the shoe, where you don't really have it yet as a proper shoe. I feel like this is the kind of word I might have known in reading. You know, I don't know literature from uh 200 years ago or something like that. <laughs> And Rabbi Yehuda says, you can't send a white shoe. What does it mean a white shoe? Again, it's one of these preparatory elements because you need an Oman, um, an artisan, a shoe craftsperson, a shoemaker, to come and, it says here, you know, to paint it black. I don't know that the color is the issue as much as to finish off the shoe. It's not something that people don't make shoes who don't have the training to make shoes. It's not that, it's too too specific a, a craft. Um, and I always love when the Mishnah gives us general principles like this the general principle is that anything that you're going to use on the on the Chag itself you could send it meaning so if you're sending something that is going to be worn or is going to be used on Yantif you can make a gift of it and that presumes I don't know what a scarf a dress shoes that are finished right meaning Anything that is going to be um, readily appreciated and used on the holiday itself, the this mission says, yes, go ahead, you can do it. You're, you're welcome to send it. And what that means, I think, is Yodena, as you said before, right? that this is, if we're talking about cases where theoretically you could run into trouble, let's say you're going to send something that can't be finished by the time of the holiday, then you can't send that on the holiday either. It wouldn't really be usable on holiday. That would be a concern of getting into malacha, but all of these other concerns, like it's sown or it's not sown, we're not worried that you're going to come to sow it, unless that's what would have to be done to make it usable. But if you could use it as is, you know, go go enjoy, send your gift, let your recipient enjoy the the present of Yentis, and and. I feel like one of these the, part of the way this is so different from again so different from Shabbat is that this idea is that there's um you're using things on Yantif in ways that you would never use them on Shabbat, and it I think speaks to the concern of Simchat Yom Tov, right? Why are people giving gifts to begin with? Isn't this uh, you know part and parcel of the nature of bringing joy on the holiday?
0: Yeah, and I yeah, think that you're seeing a balance of here. Is, you know, I think there's a certain leniency to Young Tov because the food and the preparation, and the, the holiday. And we're, we're going to talk about this. This comes up in the second paragraph a little bit more explicitly tomorrow. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to our Vinnie Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the staff and our Talking Townwood Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.